0: Welcome to a community-supported and guest-produced edition of the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from NPR, Ring of Fire, The Young Turks, Real Time with Bill Maher, and Democracy Now!,
1: Now, now the founder of Blackwater, Eric Prince is very politically connected. Let's talk about him starting with um, with the fact that he's from a very wealthy family. How did his family make their fortune?
2: Uh, Eric Prince uh, grew up in the, the Midwestern state of Michigan in a, a town called Holland. And his, uh, his dad, Edgar Prince was very much the King of Holland. Uh, he was a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of guy who built up an empire, a company called the Prince manufacturing Corps. And, uh, Prince manufacturing uh, was best known for creating the now ubiquitous, uh, lighted sun visor in a car. So when you pull down your visor and you see it light up, uh, that's from the Prince family. Uh, and, uh, what, what Eric Prince's father, uh, taught him was to mix a sort of strict adherence to a Calvinist uh, religious doctrine with a a strong embrace of the the free market gospel. And so Eric Prince, as a young man, watched as his father used the family business as a cash-generating engine to fuel the rise of the religious right, uh, as well as the Republican Revolution of 1994 that brought Newt Gingrich to power. And so his father uh, was a major contributor to many Republican campaigns, uh, but also to Gary Bauer, for example instance, the, the founder of the Family Research Council. He gave Gary Bauer the seed money to start the organization. Young Eric Prince was among the first interns there. Uh, the Prince family also contributed heavily to James Dobson and focus on the family. Um, Eric Prince interestingly is very close to Chuck Colson, uh, the former Watergate conspirator and one of Bush's advisors, uh, spiritual advisors, and this was a guy who was Nixon's hatchet man, and he's now running faith-based prisons. So Eric Prince grew up in this atmosphere where his family was very close to the religious right, very close to conservative politics. Uh, Prince himself interned in George H.W. Bush's White House, uh, but he complained that it wasn't conservative enough on gay issues, the budget, and the environment. Um, He also worked on Pat Buchanan's insurgent campaign for president in 1992 when he ran on a very xenophobic, anti-immigrant line. Um, Eric Prince himself uh, has contributed upwards uh, and his immediate family of a quarter of a million dollars in traceable money to federal Republican campaigns, and interestingly, he's never given a penny to a Democrat, which is certainly his right, But he has given money to Green Party candidates to defeat Democrats, and this is a very unusual pattern for the head of a, of a powerful corporation to put all of his eggs in one basket, but this guy is a committed ideologue.
1: Now, now, Eric Prince, the founder of Blackwater, is a former Navy SEAL.
2: In fact, he's believed to be the wealthiest person ever to serve in the U.S. Navy SEALs. And he was deployed in Haiti. Uh, he was deployed in Bosnia, in the Mediterranean. And I don't think he actually wanted to leave the Navy SEALs. But in, in 1995, his father died of a heart attack, uh, and his wife uh, was diagn- had been diagnosed with cancer. And I think that being in the SEALs was no longer a, a reality for him. And I think that's why he turned his sights on setting up a, a military company that would effectively operate itself like a privatized special forces unit.
1: Now, Joseph Schmitz is the vice chairman of Blackwater, and he had been the Pentagon's inspector general. So he's kind of connected to the private and the government world. Uh, Is he very politically connected?
2: Well, jo- I mean, Joseph Schmitz was the uh, the Pentagon Inspector General at a time uh, when the war contractor bonanza was just exploding, and his his job effectively was to uh, police uh, the largest war contractor bonanza in history. Uh, and he was uh, was was basically forced to resign uh, under fire from Democrats and Republicans alike, accusing him of uh, of not doing his job. And then he turns around and takes a a, a job with one of the most uh, successful of those war contractors, Blackwater USA. Joseph Schmitz is a committed Christian activist. Uh, He himself is the one who brags of his membership in the uh, the military order of Malta, the the Christian militia dating back to the First Crusade. And if you read through his speeches uh, from when he was Inspector General, he absolutely adored Donald Rumsfeld. He gave a speech one time in which he went on and on about Rumsfeld's career as a wrestler. Um, And so this is a guy who was very close. Uh, He was a a Republican, uh, devoted Republican disciple. He was very close to the Bush administration, and now he's in a leadership position uh, at blackwater usa Uh,
1: now another highly placed person within blackwater is cofer black what's his position in blackwater and where was he before that
2: Kofer Black is the uh, is is a vice chairman of uh, of of Blackwater, and he's perhaps one of the most uh, famous spies in U.S. history. Uh, Kofer Black was a 30 year veteran of the Central Intelligence Agency when he uh, when he came to Blackwater in February of 2005. Uh, This was a man who Osama bin Laden had marked for death in Sudan uh, in the 1990s when Black was a CIA operative there. Kofer Black is also the man who caught uh, Carlos the Jackal at the time, the most famed uh, international terrorist. He caught him in Sudan. Uh, Black went on. To serve uh, for decades in the in the CIA, and uh, when 9/11 happened, he was the uh, coordinator of the CIA's counterterrorism center and the man tasked with hunting, beginning the hunt for Osama bin Laden. And on September 13th, 2001, he's in the White House Situation Room, throwing papers on the ground, explaining to President Bush how he's going to drop in special forces operators throughout Afghanistan. And he would talk in these terms: "We're going to put their heads on spikes. We're going to have we're going to have flies crawling across their eyeballs." Uh, he talked about chopping bin Laden's head off with a machete so that you had DNA to know it was him. And he actually promised President Bush that he would bring Osama bin Laden's head back from Afghanistan uh, in a box on dry ice. Uh, well, of course, that didn't happen. And uh, So Kofer Black was one of the key players in the early stages of the war on terror, one of the key players in the um, real escalated use of the extraordinary rendition program. And now he's one of the key players at Blackwater USA and recently announced that he had formed his own private intelligence company. Um, um, these guys are really on the cutting edge of uh, private military, private security, private intelligence um, and so Blackwater really has stacked its deck with uh, with veteran spies veteran government officials and very influential political figures
3: has been defeated by the pirates of the new age. Alien casinos Well maybe it's just time to say that things can go bad and make you Trouble just seems to stay. In future complications in the strings between the cans. But no prints can come from fingers if machines become our hands, and then our feet become those.
4: editor of the Houston-based newsletter, Energy Tribune. He's a contributing writer at the Texas Observer, and he's author of the book, Cronies, Oil, the Bushes, and the Rise of Texas, America's Superstate, in which he wrote extensively about Halliburton. Robert Bryce, thanks very much for joining us.
5: Hi, thanks for having me, Tom.
4: So you put Halliburton in a kind of, uh, what, set of crown jewels of Texas, big business, big shoulders, big power players here. Who, who, Who do you rank them among?
5: Well, my point in, in in cronies was just that this this company Halliburton and Brown and Root, which uh, as as Russell pointed out, it, it, Halliburton has been split into these two main operating businesses: mm-hmm. Halliburton, which is the oilfield services side, and KBR or Kellogg Brown and Root. Mm-hmm. The KBR portion of that is relatively new. They uh, Halliburton bought uh, Kellogg, I think, in the in the in the mid 90s. But for years, it was Brown and Root was the part of Halliburton that was really the 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 power player, and that. Aspect of of Halliburton uh, Brown and Root was purchased by Halliburton in the early nineteen sixties Um That was the the really the, the 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 locus of power for for decades really um, in Texas politics. Remember, it was Brown and Root that was close to Lyndon Johnson. It was George Brown who was one of Lyndon Johnson's biggest political backers. And mm. in fact, uh, as I wrote in the book, that uh, you know when it, throughout Lyndon Johnson's career in politics, even going back to his very first run for Congress. In the late 1930s, George Brown was one of his biggest backers, and then Johnson, in turn, uh, rewarded Brown and Root with huge construction contracts. In fact, the, the biggest one was uh, a dam that was built right so, uh, outside of the city of Austin here, the Mansfield Dam, uh, which dammed the Colorado River and created uh, the first of the big highland lakes uh, uh, here in, uh, in central Texas. So, That's what
4: you call uh, cronyism, and it's rolled right on forward, as you describe it, Robert, rise for decades.
5: Well, yes, because Halliburton and Brown and Root were are part of that uh, Texas power structure, and have been for many decades that um, uh, created that symbiotic relationship between the oil sector and the Texas political power structure. And it wasn't, of course, just Lyndon Johnson. Uh, the the oil sector and the oil business um, uh, supported uh, George Bush the first in his runs for Congress and then uh, later for the Senate. And, of course, then the rise of George W. Bush was largely funded by the Texas oil interests as well.
4: We're going to look uh, at that, but let me ask you, uh, when it comes to Dick Cheney and George W. Bush and Halliburton and the Iraq War, uh, the title of your book is... Cronies—is that the right word to be applying here, or was this a you know patriotic big company stepping up to do what was asked by the White House?
5: Well, um, you know, I think it's it's both. I mean, clearly the political connections with Halliburton and the uh, the last few Republican presidents are really quite uh, remarkable. Uh, You look at the the president's foreign intelligence advisory board, which is a group of uh, of citizens that are appointed by the president to review all of the uh the government's most secret secrets uh, they have access to all the data from the CIA the FBI the uh national security agency etc uh throughout much of the reagan administration and then part of the first bush administration um uh there was a a, a member of the halliburton board uh sat on the piffy uh and uh, and and sat on that board a- ann armstrong was her name she was an advisor in the nixon administration um, and worked in the nixon white house Uh, She later um, then became one of the lead members of the Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board um, while she was sitting on the Halliburton Board. Mm. Uh, Fast forward to today, where you have Ray Hunt, uh, who was a big uh, provider of funding for George W. Bush's campaign in 2000. He now sits on the Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board and sits on the Board of Directors at Halliburton. I've asked Ray Hunt uh, face-to-face. I said, do you use the data or the information you get from the Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board, when you're talking to Halliburton, he refused to answer the question. Um, but, you know, this is just one example of these many connections between Halliburton and the highest levels of, of the Bush administration. Um, then you have Dick Cheney, who, of, of course, was appointed to find a, a vice presidential uh, candidate uh, to run with George W. Bush, and then he beca- himself becomes the candidate. What I think is, is truly remarkable, uh, you know, Robert carroll and others have written mm. uh, a great deal about the connections and alleged corruption between uh, Brown and Root and Lyndon Johnson, well, I think George Brown of Brown and Root would have been astonished if he knew that, you know, up until last year, Dick Cheney, as a sitting vice president of the United States, was still getting deferred compensation payments from Halliburton.
4: That's what you call cozy.
5: Well, you know, and, and Cheney, you know, says, well, it's deferred compensation. It's money that is owed to me. You know, that's fine, but is remarkable set of circumstances when you have a, a person at that level of power still still having financial dealings with a, a big government contractor and particularly one that is controversial as
6: Halliburton.
1: Pointed out One of the turning points of the war in Iraq was in Fallujah, when four men working in Iraq for Blackwater were killed by insurgents. And then the, the, the charred remains of two of them were hung from a bridge in Fallujah, hung on display. Um, now, the families of the four men who were killed are, have filed wrongful death suits against Blackwater. On what grounds?
2: well the uh, the families of uh, of these four men who were killed in fallujah uh, all believed that their uh, loved ones were going to be uh, providing security for ambassador paul bremer in iraq and that they were going to be doing uh, you know very important work as uh, as special forces operators they didn't think of their loved ones as being contractors they thought of them as being um, soldiers what they'd always been their entire careers and these these guys were successful decorated uh, special forces operators and so they went over to iraq uh, they're working for uh, blackwater usa uh, and they're sent into uh, Fallujah. And the, the problems began uh, with the fact that their contracts, the contracts that they were working under, uh, provided that they would be sent out with three men to a vehicle they were sent out with only two men to a vehicle. That third man in the vehicle uh, would have been a rear gunner armed with a heavy machine gun. Uh, They were also supposed to be, according to the contracts, uh, provided with armored vehicles. They were sent in Piero jeeps, uh, which are widely known in Iraq as bullet magnets. Uh, They were sent out that day, uh, according to the lawsuit of the families, uh, without a map and without the opportunity to do pre-mission intelligence gathering. And so these families, when their loved ones were killed, uh, began asking Blackwater questions. How did this happen? What were they doing in Fallujah? What was their mission that day? Uh, And they say that they were stonewalled by Blackwater for months. Uh, And then in October of 2004, Blackwater flew the families uh, to its compound in North Carolina for a memorial service for their loved ones. And one of the mothers of of one of the Blackwater contractors killed, Donna Zavko, uh, asked a Blackwater representative for uh, the report on the uh, the ambush and asked her for her son's belongings. And the Blackwater representative, she says, said that uh, the report is classified. And if you want that information, you'll have to sue. And so the family started to get to know each other and talked about it further. And then in January of 2005, uh, they filed a wrongful death uh, lawsuit against Blackwater in the state of North Carolina, alleging that they had, uh, the company had defrauded their loved ones, not provided them with their contractually obligated safeguards. And this is a case that is being monitored very closely by the whole war contractor industry because uh, I think there's a concern that, like the tobacco litigation, once the first domino falls, uh, the, the whole pyramid starts to crumble.
1: How is Blackwater defending itself?
2: Uh, very, very aggressively. Blackwater has enlisted some of the most powerful Republican lawyers in the country to defend it. Uh, the original lawyer on the case was actually Fred Fielding, who now is uh, Bush's White House counsel. He replaced Harriet Myers. Uh, the current counsel of record for Blackwater is uh, none other than Kenneth Starr, the man who led the impeachment charge against uh, President Clinton. At one point, they retained uh, Greenberg Traurig, uh, the, the powerhouse law firm. And so Blackwater has never uh, disputed the particulars of the lawsuit. Uh, but what they've done is they've tried to argue uh, that they should be immune from civilian litigation in the United States uh, because Donald Rumsfeld classified Blackwater and other contractors as part of the U.S. total force, as an official part of the U.S. war machine. And so Blackwater has filed a series of briefs uh, saying that, look, if you allow us to be sued, it's like allowing the military to be sued. And it, it, it basically invades the rights of uh, President Bush to wage war as he sees fit. And the the courts don't belong in that process, Blackwater has argued in its legal briefings and and its legal papers filed with various courts. And the fact is that twice the U.S. Supreme Court, which we should point out is dominated by Republican appointees, uh, rejected Blackwater's appeals. And so it seems now that this case is going to go ahead in state court in North Carolina where there would be no cap on damages a jury could award.
1: Well, Blackwater is arguing that it shouldn't be subjected to Uh, 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 civil uh, trials. But at the same time, it's not uh, it doesn't come under the jurisdiction of the military. It's not held accountable to the military code of justice.
2: Right. I mean, Blackwater has essentially declared its forces uh, above any effective law, uh, while uh, resisting its attempts to have its private forces subjected to the Pentagon's court-martial system, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, Blackwater also claims this immunity from civilian litigation. Uh, in fact, the only law that Blackwater wants applied to its forces uh, is one that has no teeth and has not been enforced in Iraq or, or elsewhere, and that's the uh, Military Extraterritorial Jurisdiction Act of 2000, uh, which is a law that says that contractors operating in the war zone should be subjected to the U.S. court system, the criminal court system. In the United States. The fact is, Terry, that there are 100,000 contractors in Iraq, and only one has been, uh, has been indicted on any kind of charges.
7: Now we're back with Henry Rollins, actor, author, and host of The Henry Rollins Show on the Independent Film Channel. Henry, talk about the power pyramid. I, I just, I love your handling of the idea that if you're not a millionaire, you can't afford Bush. You just can't.
8: Yeah, well, he, it's just that idea that, that what's the matter with Kansas concept of all these people voting it, out of their self-interest. You know, not in their self-interest, rather. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So these people who support him... In that way a beaten wife supports her man. Well he's nice when he doesn't beat me. And you know, he's a good man. He beat the hell out of you. But he you shut up. He's a good man. He works hard. He he drinks and chucks the bottle at your head.
7: Shut up. And now she's defending this guy in court. I love him. And well, that's let, me, what, let me ask you this. What's the top of the pyramid? Yeah, you know, Bush, Cheney, Congress, the Supreme Court, they really aren't the top of that pyramid. What well, you call they, the power pyramid? They
8: benefit right? from, and and they 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 get good pay from it. The, the the top of the pyramid are the people who, well, your KBRs and and the people who make right. the world go around. Right. Um, I interviewed Stephen Gagan on my show recently, mm, well, a fascinating nice. guy. Yeah, and he's he said it's all about oil and arms. He says he meets these guys who really push the rocks around and he, he said you think it would be for like you know for god for country for jihad or whatever he says it, it's for ferraris and like 16 year old girlfriends and <laughs> and persian caviar you know it, it,
7: that, it, that's it, the top of the pyramid right
8: well yeah it's these people if you if you look at the movie Syriana, when you see that the the size and the terms these people are thinking in where you and your sign downtown going no more war man they don't even watch mm-hmm. you don't matter mm-hmm. and so to a lot of these people, you who aren't them, you're just you know you're an extra in their movie. And it, shut up and go along with it. And and that's why you see guys like Sean Hannity who wish they could be at the party. They got the money, but no one no one in real power is ever going to invite them anywhere. Yeah. His best front seat was uh, hanging out with Donald Rumsfeld going to Iraq. I mean, he's still probably taking cold showers to to get into work yeah. and to squeeze himself into his chair. Yeah. But to me. It's important that Americans really understand that when they're voting for these people, a lot of the the middle class, this administration's out for you and your money. And they're taking the backbone of America and the salt of the earth, and they are taking them to the cleaners. And, And it's easy to forget that America is full of some of the most generous, hardworking, and wonderful people anywhere in the world. And it's so sad to see them go for the dark side willingly because the president said God. The president gave an air of homophobia and, and, and then later on they found out that they got screwed. You know, I was just in Iran a couple of weeks ago. I went to Iran for a week. I'm sure I'm on someone's list now, but
7: <laughs> I was just going to ask you what no-fly list are you on?
8: Yeah, exactly. well, I, I went. I went to Iran and, and just I wanted to, to meet Iranian people and ask questions and see the place before there's probably going to be a one of those temporary visa, you know, no mm-hmm, visas sure. for some long amount of time. And I just, you know, people would hear me speaking English, so they would come up and go, "Excuse me, you're you're from America?" I said, "Yeah." And then they said, I, I like America. And I said, why? I like Iran. And everyone was so friendly to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I sat at tables with them. And I said, what do you think of, of uh, Ahmadinejad? And they said, well, we didn't vote for him. And, I said, and they said, well, I said, what do you think of Bush? They go, like well, he should hang out with Ahmadinejad more often. They're, <laughs> they're kind of two peas in the same pod. I said, what do you think about America? And all of them said, we love America. We want to be America. Hell, we used to be like America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're scared of you. We're scared of your president, but we we want to come to New York. We want you to come here, but you scare us.
7: Yeah, I remember when Sean Penn went to Iraq, and I I wish they had given more coverage of you going to Iran, but it's difficult, you see, if you dehumanize the enemy, if you dehumanize the Iraqis and dehumanize the... Well, I'm watching it You
8: know, as you are. We all are. We're all watching them do the same thing to Iran. And when John Bolton, many months ago, John Bolton said, well, you know, you start talking about Iran's uh, ballistic missile program. I said, you just made that up and said it. As soon as you say it into a microphone, it becomes true. And all your Rush Limbaugh's grab that. Like a dog with a toy, and just run up field. And by Monday, it's gospel.
7: Yeah, you know, I think people connect with you consistently. When I take a look at the things that people just really connect with you on, it's it's almost that that anger. I mean, you know, the progressive movement. Uh, if you really look at, it, they need more anger. Air America is connected to that anger, that progressive shift that's taken place. And our listeners are always, I mean, compl- always Henry, sending us emails how grateful they are for voices like Henry Rollins, Bill Maher, John. Stewart, Keith Oberman, and, and, you know, do you see a need to abandon that warm, fuzzy consensus building, almost that erudite liberal voice, and just start swinging the hell back as progressives?
8: Uh, I, swing, swing, yes, but swing with care, because um, I think a lot of this Ann Coulter type of stuff, you know, well, that, that's the, the, the thug level of it. That's a trap, because if you really get into it with her, then you're repeating her lingo and uh, what did she say the other day on her blog? I'm so ashamed I can't stop laughing. Yeah. So don't play, you know, we must not play into their hands. But, yeah, I think if you just kind of turn the other cheek over and over and over by being, a, you know, a decent person, like when John Howard went after Barack, he just went, I oh, want his first two words out of his mouth was, I'm flattered. I'm flattered that this guy's going after me so early in the elections. And then he went on to call John Howard out. But, that's very nice, uh, maybe politicians need to be nice. We need to get a stiffer backbone. It's one of the reasons I listen to your show because I've heard you express that where you basically said, "Hell man i'm mad. let's go." Yeah, well, and I do that because'm these people genuinely make me feel emotionally angry because I see they're doing bad things to good people'
3: ain't exactly clear. there's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I got to beware. I think it's time we stop. Children, what's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. There's battle lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance from behind Every time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down What a field day for the heat
1: Private contractors like KBR, is which is a, a former subsidiary of Halliburton, provide services like getting food and other supplies to troops. Private contractors often, you know, they, they build things, they bring supplies, they, um, they protect people. Would you consider Blackwater uh, like a, a company of mercenaries or of the kind of contractors who, you know, get food and other supplies and offer protection?
2: No, I mean, the very essence of a mercenary is a soldier of fortune, and one of the primary motives for becoming a, uh, a mercenary is monetary gain. Uh, Blackwater's uh, heavily armed forces are paid several times the, the wages of an average soldier, uh, and they serve uh, in Iraq as sort of the uh, the vanguard for the Bush administration's occupation. Uh, the Bush administration has outsourced uh, one of the most mission-critical tasks in Iraq to Blackwater. Uh, Blackwater guards the U.S. ambassadors, Al-Mei Khalilzad. They guard several regional occupation offices uh, in the country. But then another fact that goes largely unreported is that while Blackwater portrays itself as a sort of American. Pie Business, an all-American company. They actually have recruited mercenaries uh, from some serious human rights-violating countries, Chile, Colombia, and elsewhere, and deployed them as part of their force in Iraq.
1: Have they been involved in combat operations at all?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there was one incident that happened in April of 2004 in Iraq where Blackwater was guarding a regional headquarters of the occupation, and Muqtada al-Sadr's followers uh, were engaged in an uprising after the U.S. Uh, arrested one of uh, Muqtada al-Sadr, the fiery Shiite cleric, one of his top aides. And this massive demonstration hit Najaf, where a handful of Blackwater guards were guarding the building. And that day, April 4th, 2004, uh, Blackwater mercenaries engaged in a day-long firefight with, uh, with the Madi army. Uh, and in fact, during that battle, uh, there happened to be some U.S. Marines in the area, uh, and a, a young Marine, uh, Lance Corporal Lonnie Young, uh, actually was uh, fi- was uh, aiming his weapon down at the crowd below, and there was no commanding officer on the scene, and so he asked the Blackwater guys for permission to open fire. Uh, he said, sir, I've acquired a target, can I open fire? And the Blackwater guys gave him permission to open fire. Uh, and he described uh, the, the, the sort of conflicting emotions of, of killing people that day. And the fact was that Blackwater mercenaries were were in overt command of an active-duty U.S. soldier. That's one of many incidents uh, where Blackwater has been engaged in firefights with Iraqis, they've been ambushed by Iraqis, their helicopters have been brought down. Uh, So Blackwater has been very much in the thick of things in Iraq.
1: Can you continue to give us an overview of the role uh, Blackwater employees are playing in the Bush administration-run War on Terror?
2: Well, I I call Blackwater the Praetorian Guard uh, of the uh, War on Terror, the Praetorian Guard, of course, being the famed uh, Roman mercenaries, uh, because what you find with Blackwater is that they're deployed in the key areas of the War on Terror. Uh, Their men were among the first people deployed into Afghanistan after 9-11 on a covert CIA contract. uh, They're training forces in Afghanistan. Uh, Blackwater has a massive contract with the U.S. State Department to provide what's called diplomatic security. Uh, I recently filed a FOIA request and determined that Blackwater has been paid $750 million by the State Department alone uh, since the summer of 2004 to guard senior U.S. officials in Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere. Uh, Blackwater also has uh, been deployed in New Orleans uh, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. Several hundred uh, Blackwater contractors were deployed in the hurricane zone. And what's interesting is that Blackwater billed the federal government $950 per day per man uh, in New Orleans. And their men on the ground uh, that I interviewed in New Orleans, told me that they were being paid $350 a day. So there's a serious question of where that $600 went. Um, And so what we find is that Blackwater, both at home and abroad, is serving uh, the radical privatization agenda of the Bush administration, and it's rapidly expanding its operations in the United States, opening a new facility in uh, Illinois. They're calling it Blackwater North, and in California, they're calling it Blackwater West. And then they have a 7,000-acre private military facility uh, based on the Great Dismal Swamp of North Carolina. So this company really embodies so much of what's happened in this country and around the world uh, in the wake of 9-11.
4: Marked a couple of readings. Maybe the second one there. Uh, This is uh, Max and Elena, who are lovers and they spend a lot of time lolling about talking about everything. Elena really uh obsessed with the war uh, clinically yes. clinically obsessed at some point and she's yes. been complaining about the whole 2000 election going through all that over again and max is kind of saying well you know this is sort of the way the world works and then she talks she, well, she max jumps max in has there
9: has been in hollywood for a long time
4: <laughs> right so the, so he knows how the world works yeah he, that little jaundice there but she's she's talking about what kills her i wonder if you could start j- jump in there for us jane
9: It kills me that the sociopaths have taken over everything. I mean, okay, all through the 80s and 90s, we had everyone screaming about how great the free market is, how wonderful it was that everything in the world was going to be defined by self-interest and monetary relations. There were going to be no regulations or sense of obligation, and people were to accept that they were tools of the economy, and the economy was not to have any higher goal than expanding, and the economy was going to be the nation. I hate all these theories that you could get something for nothing, that aggregate selfishness somehow turns into a humane society, when quite evidently it does not. And then the voters did turn away from pure free market capitalism. They did vote for a guy who cared about global warming, for example. But then the free marketers stole it anyway, and in the process they showed that they were as they had appeared all along, that they had no principles. The playing field was not level. There were no rules, and it was just like we always knew the free market really was. Not healthy competition, but dog-eat-dog. No, not dogs. Dogs have some sense of propriety. More like crocodile-eat-crocodile. But why do you care? He thought, we're here in this room in this room things are fine. Because it's not human, she said. It is human. Then it's not American. It is American. Winning without caring is completely American. Do you know what a knockdown drag out fight is? Well, I don't know, bad fight. A knockdown drag out fight was a certain type of combat that people in frontier towns used to set up and wager on. Every sort of tactic was legal including ear-biting, eye-gouging, tongue-biting, testicle-crushing. Men would fight, and other men would watch the mayhem and cheer it on. That was an American form of recreation. Genocide was American. Slavery was American. Witch-burning was American. What conservatives hate about liberals is that liberals repudiate cruelties that are truly American in the name of something larger or somehow alien. "'Conservatives don't necessarily embrace those cruelties, "'but they don't mind them either, "'because they think they're natural and because they're American. "'Conservatives figure that if Americans killed off the native population, "'then so be it. "'Since Americans did it, it must be okay.' "'She said, "'If Americans evade Iraq, then so be it. "'It must be okay, because Americans are doing it. "'Yes. "'Do you expect me to agree with that logic?' No, but I expect you to recognize that it is ineradicable that it 's the price you pay for living here
4: A little conversation in the Pacific palisades in jane smiley 's Ten days in the hills there 's a lot of romping and craziness, but the but the political theme never goes away here.
10: Shape I'm in. Well, I go out somewhere, then I come home again. A lot of cigarettes, I can't get no sleep. There's nothing on the TV, nothing on the radio that means that much to me. All my life, I'm watching America.
11: Now, uh, get a random story for you from yesterday, actually. Uh, Occidental, uh, they do oil. They're an energy company. Their CEO got a nice little paycheck in 2006. Worked hard, though. Yeah, he did. Look, those CEOs, man, they put in a lot of hours. Here's what his paycheck was $400 million. $400 million. Not $400,000. $400 million. Not $4 million. Now $400 million. That's his salary. Come on. 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 Come Are making too much money, and not too much money. Hey, we got to do something. We got to take the money from them. Yeah. But two, two. There's two different issues here. One is stop giving them subsidies. Okay. If they're making, if their CEO is walking away with four hundred million dollars, they
0: don't. They don't need a tax break.
11: They don't. They just don't need a tax break. They're They're, doing okay. They're like, oh well, this to help encourage them to do alternative energy. Oh please, come on. Okay. They should be encouraged enough to do all the research into alternative energy. Plus, if you want to encourage people to do that, give it to scientists who will actually do that research rather than giving it to, you know, ExxonMobil, who will be like, oh, I'm very encouraged.
10: <laughs>
0: yeah, they'll put it under their giant uh, mattress and their giant water bed that they used to sleep with giant hookers.
11: <laughs> there's giant hookers. I wasn't aware. those
0: guys like giant hookers. The uh, the, the big uh, petroleum magnets definitely.
11: You know what I love is that escort service, the DC madam that everybody's yeah. talking about. She's arrested and stuff, and she keeps threatening to put out her list. And now she's talking to ABC News, so there's going to be more stuff coming out about that. She's like, look, this was just a f- escort fantasy agency. They were not to have sex with the, any of their uh, the people that they were escorting. It was just for
0: fantasies. Dude. Who, who yeah. has a, who has a fantasy that doesn't involve having sex?
11: Yeah, and second of all, yeah. you're not paying a thousand bucks or more to talk about your fantasies. Yeah, my, I mean you my, can do that at five bucks an hour at some eight hundred lumber. My right?
0: fantasy isn't to go to dinner with Halle Berry.
11: <laughs> right. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. She said, she said "No." I, and she's suing one of the girls who apparently had sex yeah. that worked for her agency. She's like. I can't... She broke her contract with me. The contract said she was not to have sex.
0: Just looking at you in that dress, baby, makes me want to go dancing. <laughs> Please. I have blogging fantasies. Guys, yeah. <laughs> we could sit up late tonight together and... <laughs> I am so happy with Henry Waxman. <laughs> it turns me on so much. Okay, okay. Then what would you blog next? Sweetie, sweetie, what's the link to the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee? <laughs>
11: <laughs> yeah, you're going to pay somebody thousands of dollars to do that? Please. <laughs> uh, all right, so the other part of this is uh, this Occidental CEO getting all this money is uh, this is the whole thing with the boards, corporate boards are a scam. It's all people who know each other who say, yeah, I'll hire you for that board if you hire me as a CEO of that company, et cetera, et cetera. And they all pay each other a gargantuan amount of money. I don't know when the shareholders are going to rebel, but I'd like to re- lead that rebellion. If I'm a shareholder of this company, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, that money is mine. I'm a shareholder. Why are you giving away $400 million of it to the CEO? No CEO should get that amount of money, let alone the ones that are failing you know, Oxenell at least did well. The other CEOs get tons of money, and they don't even, and their company loses money. Somebody's got to fix the system.
1: You pointed out Blackwater is also trying to get more and more work within the United States. It, it, for instance, uh, was hired as a private contractor after Hurricane Katrina. What kind of services did it perform?
2: Well, it's interesting because Blackwater beat uh, most agencies of the federal government to the hurricane zone, uh, and when it initially deployed about 180 men, it didn't have any government contracts, according to company officials. Uh, they say that they just went down there to help out in the relief effort. Uh, I was in New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. I was actually talking to two New York City police officers on Bourbon Street when all of a sudden a compact car with no license plates pulls up, and these big burly guys with uh, with flak jackets and M4 machine guns and Wrap around sunglasses and shaved heads, get out of the car uh, and say to the New York police officers, do you know where the rest of the Blackwater guys are? And the police officer said, yeah, there's a bunch of them down the road. And I turned to the police officer and I said, Blackwater, you mean like the guys in Iraq? And he said, yeah, they're all over the place. So I walked around and I found some Blackwater guys and I talked to them about what they were doing there. And they told me very clearly that they were uh, on contract uh, with the Department of Homeland Security, that they were staying in a Homeland Security camp outside of uh, New Orleans. Um, one of them showed me a gold law enforcement badge and said he'd been deputized by the governor of, uh, of Louisiana. When I asked them what their mission was in, North Car- in uh, New Orleans, uh, they said that they were there to uh, confront criminals and stop looters. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that these Blackwater guys were riding around in unmarked vehicles, Heavily armed, Uh, Several of them had just been in Iraq or Afghanistan a couple of weeks earlier. So it was very disturbing to see the presence of these private forces on the streets. I mean, you know, what are they going to do if they see a a woman coming out of a a department store uh, carrying diapers that she didn't buy, that she took out of the the department store? I mean, what are these private soldiers uh, supposed to do? And uh, after I reported that they said that they were on contract with the Department of Homeland Security, uh, the federal government was forced to admit it. And it turns out that they were paying these guys three hundred and fifty dollars a day, and Blackwater was billing the government $950 a day for their services. At one point, Blackwater had 600 men deployed from Texas to Mississippi, and they were raking in more than $240,000 a day.
1: Is Blackwater trying to get more work in the United States in the aftermath of natural disasters?
2: Oh, absolutely. Blackwater representatives uh, recently met with uh, California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger to talk with him about uh, doing disaster response in the event of a California earthquake. Uh, The company has applied for operating licenses in all of the coastal states of the United States. And uh, as I said, they're opening uh, military and and law enforcement training facilities in Illinois and in California. They're sort of building a triangle around the country. Uh, And its it's home base in North Carolina is an impressive facility. It's 7,000 acres. It has a state-of-the-art 60,000 square foot corporate headquarters that welcomes visitors with door handles made from muzzles of automatic weapons. And, you know, Blackwater was founded uh, with the idea of anticipating uh, increased government outsourcing of military training. And so Blackwater is really positioning itself to cash in for many, many years to come.
1: Is it fair to say that the role of private military contractors started really expanding under the leadership of Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld?
2: No, this is the life's work of, uh, of those two. I mean, Dick Cheney, when he was uh, defense secretary under George H.W. Bush, one of the last things he did was to commission a study uh, from a division of Halliburton, the company that he would go on to head, looking at how to greater privatize the military bureaucracy. Well, that was laying the groundwork for this war contractor bonanza that we've seen unfold since 2001. Uh, Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld and other officials came to, uh, to power in this country with a radical privatization agenda. But the fact of the matter was, that 9/11 provided Cheney and Rumsfeld and 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 the neoconservative uh, clique that sort of uh, operated in the White House in those days, uh, with this blank slate on which to paint their privatization picture. And Iraq was considered a a, a slate to be wiped clean and built up from the ground.
12: don't get to question my patriotism. What could be less patriotic than constantly screwing things up for America? You know, it's literally hard to keep up with the sheer volume of scandals in the Bush administration, which is why I like to download the latest scandals right onto my iPod. <laughs> That way I can catch up on this week's giant fuck-up on my drive into work. In fact, Bush has so many scandals he could open a chain of Bush scandal and fuck-up theme restaurants. Ooh, should I get the Harriet Myers meatloaf with the Katrina crab cake? You know, not to generalize, but the 29% of people who still support President Bush are the ones who love to pronounce themselves more patriotic than the rest of us. But just saying you're patriotic is like saying you have a big cock. If you have to say it, chances are it's not true. And indeed, the party that flatters itself that they protect America better is the party that has exhausted the military, left the ports wide open, and purposefully outed a CIA agent, Valerie Plame. That's not treason anymore, outing a spy? Did I mention it was one of our spies? (laughs) And how despicable that Bush's lackeys attempted to diminish this crime by belittling her service, like she was just some chick who hung around the CIA. (laughs) An intern, really. (laughs) Groupie, if you want to be mean about it. (laughs) No, big lie. Valerie Plame was the CIA's operational officer in charge of counter-proliferation, which means she tracked loose nukes. So when Bush said, as he once did, that his absolute number one priority was preventing terrorists from getting loose nukes, okay, that's what she worked on. That's what she devoted her life to, staying undercover for 20 years, maintaining two identities every goddamn day. This is extraordinary service to your country. Valerie Plain was the kind of real-life secret agent George Bush dreams of being when he's not too busy pretending to be a cowboy or a fighter pilot. (laughs) Uh, CIA agents are troops. This was a military assassination of one of our own done through the press, ordered by Karl Rove. He said of Valerie Plame, quote, she's fair game. And then Cheney shot her. (laughs) George Bush likes to claim that he doesn't question his critics' patriotism, just their judgment. Well, let me be the first of your critics, Mr. President, to question your judgment and your patriotism. Because let's not forget why they did it to her. Because Valerie Plain was married to this guy Joe Wilson, who the Bush people hated, because he busted them on one of their bullshit reasons for invading Iraq. He was sent to the African country of Niger to see if Niger was selling nuclear fuel to Iraq. They weren't. It was bullshit, and he said so. In fact, his report was called, Niger, please. Valerie Plame's husband told the truth about their lie, so they were willing to jeopardize an entire network of spies to ruin her life. Wow. Even the mob doesn't go after your family. Mark Twain said, Patriotism is supporting your country all the time, and your government when it deserves it. And I say Valerie Plame is a patriot because she spent her life serving her country. Scooter Libby is not because he spent his life serving Dick Cheney. Valerie Plame kept her secrets. The Bush administration leaked like the plumbing at Walter Reed. In the year 2008, I really think that Hillary Clinton should run for president on a platform of restoring honor and integrity to the Oval world.
13: revelations have linked the FBI to the interrogation and detention of anti-war protesters in Washington, D.C. According to unearthed police records, a secret FBI intelligence unit helped detain and question a group of protesters in a downtown parking garage in April 2002. Some of the protesters were interrogated on videotape about their political and religious beliefs. According to the police records, the protesters were largely targeted because they were wearing the color black and perceived by police to be anarchists. In one section of the police log, an officer reports, quote, there are reportedly 15 anarchists at 13th and K being interviewed. The subjects reportedly had a pass key to a building, but it's unknown how they came to be in possession of it. After the protesters were detained, FBI agents dressed in street clothes, separated members to question them one by one about protests they'd attended, whom they had spent time with recently, what political views they espoused, and the significance of their tattoos and slogans.
14: For years, law enforcement authorities suggested the incident never took place. According to The Washington Post, the revelations provide the first public evidence that Washington, D.C.-based FBI personnel use their intelligence-gathering powers in the district to collect purely political information. The police records came to light out of a lawsuit filed on behalf of the protesters by the Partnership for Civil Justice. Marva Hayden-Hilliard is an attorney and co-founder of the partnership. She joins us from Washington, D.C., and with us here in our firehouse studio is Nat Meisenberg. He's one of the students at that time who were arrested and questioned at the protest. Uh, He's a plaintiff in the lawsuit. Nat, let's begin with you. Describe what happened on this day. It was the major anti-war protest April 20th, 2002.
15: Yes, we were, uh, the protest was winding down and a a few of us uh, had linked up with uh, my brother and his friends who are from Baltimore. And and they had driven up from Baltimore and parked in a building on K Street where his friend uh, worked at the time. And so they had brought some food uh, with them, and we were all hungry after a day of being outside. So we left the protest and we were uh, we walked uh, into the garage and within a few minutes, the street outside the garage was uh blocked off, and the police were around. We had sent a friend up to defuse the situation, uh, let the police know that we weren't trying to cause any trouble and that we would leave. And we began to pack up the food and leave before I had even finished eating the whole meal's worth. And uh, the, uh, the next thing we know, he didn't come back and the gate was opening and uh, we were, people were charging into the garage. We exited uh, through the lobby of the building uh, where, once on the street, we were stopped by the police and lined up uh, along the building, had our bags searched, and uh, we were taken out, uh, several of us were taken off one by one to be interviewed on videotape by the FBI.
13: Now, these were uniformed police, or were the, did the police have identification? And, and how many FBI were there that you could make out?
15: We were originally stopped by a, a uniformed police officer with the Metropolitan Police Department, and we were uh, there was an, a number of uh, plainclothes Metropolitan Police officers. Uh, we could tell that they were worked for the police department because they had badges around their neck. Um, there were only th- that we could tell the two uh, intelligence gathering FBI agents, uh, and we assumed that they were FBI because they didn't have any kind of. Mar- uh, Badge or marking that would associate them with the police department,
13: and they were the ones that interviewed you uh, the the two had that had no identification
15: the two that had no identifications were the ones who, who took us off uh, and away from the rest of the group and uh, interviewed us on video camera.
14: did you ask them who they were
15: uh, i don 't recall uh, honestly uh, whether or not I asked them who they were or whether or not they identified themselves well, to me.
14: what did they ask you?
15: They asked me uh, why I had come into town that day, how I'd gotten into town that day, where I was staying, who I was staying with, uh, if I was involved in any political organizations, if I had any piercings other than the one visible on my lip, if I had any tattoos that they couldn't see, and if I did, could I show it to them, um, and... What
14: did you answer to all these questions?
15: I, to the the questions of uh, how I'd gotten into the city and who I was staying with, I was vague and completely nonspecific, you you know, how did I get into the city? Well, I took the metro. And um, so, and I didn't answer any, uh, with any political affiliations or anything like that. I tried to sidestep all of the questions and be as non-cooperative as I could.
14: Now what happened afterwards? Did they deny this place?
15: Yes. Uh, for for years in uh, our civil lawsuit against the uh, city of D.C., the police department has denied that the FBI was ever on the scene. Uh, they at first even denied that they were doing their own intelligence gathering, um, uh, but uh, but that ca- came to light. But they have since and they have maintained that the FBI has never been on the scene.
13: Now, was, was anyone actually arrested and charged as a result of this roundup of theirs? Uh,
15: we were all uh, actually arrested, uh, despite being told the whole time we were being detained and would soon be released. We were uh, taken uh, and uh, held for approximately six to eight hours. Um, in, and uh, we were charged with uh, trespassing. Those charges were dropped. We were not told of our charges, though. I, for first, I learned of my charges was when I was released from jail, and I looked at the paperwork.
14: And what are you charged with?
15: Uh, trespassing.
14: We're also joined by Mara Verhaden-Hill. You're an attorney and co-founder of Partnership for Civil Justice. Mara, talk about the significance
16: of this, of the years of denial that the FBI were involved. Well, as Matt said, the FBI and the Metropolitan Police Department have steadfastly held that it didn't happen. I mean, we believe our clients. We know that this happens. We uh, have evidence in other cases of FBI involvement in intelligence gathering on political protesters, and uh, in in discovery request after discovery request, in sworn responses, in hearings before the court, over and over again, uh, the FBI, the MPD have done everything they can to suggest that this is somehow complete fabrication, and we have sought for years as well to get a particular document, the document that now places the FBI squarely at the scene of the arrest and doing intelligence (coughs) gathering. And that's the running resume. It's a document that indicates line by line what the MPD and federal police and other law enforcement agencies are doing during protests. We've been able to obtain them in virtually every protest case we're litigating in D.C. And in this case, they actually told us it didn't exist. And they swore it didn't exist and now we know why this document says very clearly fbi intelligence is on the scene and the protesters are being questioned and the only way this finally came up is they gave it to us uh, the one business day before a deposition we were taking of uh, one of the mpd members who's responsible for developing this document
13: and what what has been the response of the law enforcement officials who kept saying that that uh, they didn't have any uh, any records of this
16: well, we want a response. We have filed a motion for sanctions with the court as well. The FBI has filed a motion to dismiss themselves from the case. We don't see that there can be any basis for their dismissal. And this situation is is really important because we think it's sort of the tip of the iceberg. We think it's one tentacle coming up that's quite visible of a larger operation. The questions that they were asking protesters, the questions about who are you with, what are your political beliefs, where are you staying, associational political questions, that's programmatic questioning, it's not random questioning, it's the kind of information that you collect when you're building a database, an associational database, and a network database of information, and it's all purely political, it's all First Amendment protected political activity, political association. Now, the,
13: uh, are there any local laws uh, in, uh, in the District of Columbia similar to those in, uh, well, in New York, there are the Hanshaw guidelines that limit this kind of pol- political surveillance? But uh, what limitations are there, either on the FBI or metropolitan police, on this kind of surveillance?
16: Well, there's limitations in two sort of particular ways. I mean, you have straightforward First Amendment limitations. Law enforcement can't be in the business of collecting purely political information without any allegation of criminal activity and without any any criminal basis. But that's exactly what's happening here and exactly what we think is happening around the country. In the District of Columbia, the Partnership for Civil Justice um, uncovered an illegal ongoing domestic spying operation about three years ago where the Metropolitan Police Department was sending officers on undercover long-term assignments posing as protesters infiltrating protest groups going to people's meetings and offices and homes and claiming to be protesters and then collecting that kind of intelligence operation after that the council here in the District of Columbia enacted a law that had some limitations on domestic spying by the police But it's clear from what we're seeing with this and from the ongoing depositions we've taken, including of the chief of the intelligence division in D.C., and by their representations and denials of this incident and these documents, that they're clearly working with the FBI. They're working in a way where the FBI can come in, can do its intelligence gathering. The MPD is trying to create some uh, level of of distance so they don't have to have accountability for what they're doing. They can't be held responsible for what they're doing. And that's what we're aiming to stop at this point.
14: Nat, what effect did this arrest have on you in the questioning?
15: Well, first of all, I don't think I've been to a protest in D.C. since. Um, Secondly, I've become vastly more distrustful of uh, police uh, orders. I cooperated with police requests and acted in good faith uh, that I would be let go if I merely cooperated with them. And uh, throughout, they uh, violated my rights, from from my very right to show up and speak out against the war to my uh, rights to be free from incarceration and harassment. Um, and so in, in that way, I've, I've become more distrustful of police, particularly in protest situations. But also, uh, uh, more generally, it's, it's galvanized me in a way uh, to speak out about uh, what happened to me and the type of illegal tactics used by po- uh, police departments all over the country to uh, silence uh, dissenting voices and protesters.
13: And, and your reaction to the fact that officials have repeatedly misrepresented or lied about the actual activity they were involved in?
15: I don't necessarily think it's that surprising of a action that they took, um, almost uh, typical, but... Uh, but I'm still outraged. Uh, th- 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 these people are supposed to be there to defend the laws and defend my rights, and instead we find them covering things up in, in federal court for year after year.
0: There are lots of ways to communicate with the show, and I encourage you to do so. You can join the community forum to speak with other listeners, send emails direct to me at hippysympathizer at gmail.com, or have your voice heard by the entire audience by calling the comment line at 206-202-0195. Links to all of these at com.
11: Broke a big story about what was called the rnc intelligence squad within the new york police department now this is not the federal government this is the new york police uh... that are doing this on their own with the approval by the way of mayor bloomberg a guy who i've given a lot of credit to in the past who i've said some good things about because i thought he's run new york pretty well see what was happening in two thousand four is that the republicans were gonna have their convention in new york in manhattan at Madison Square Garden, we were there. We know, and so the New York Police Department decided, hey, listen, we can't take any chances. You know, New York is obviously a prime target, and this is a Republican convention, and uh, we got to make sure we can protect it. So, 18 months before the convention started, they decided to do intelligence on their own, not relying on the federal government. Now, I think so far so good. God bless them; they should, and that makes a lot of sense. Of course, immediately they got into Areas where I'm incredibly uncomfortable, and I suspect all of you will be incredibly uncomfortable. They immediately went and started uh, spying on left wing political groups. So, who did these guys investigate? Okay. Street theater companies? In other words, clowns, you know? Uh, Now, look, there's a lot of great street theater companies, and some of them have great clowns in them. Some of them have mimes, some of them are troops, okay, some of them are flat out entertainers. Not a lot of terrorists among those clowns and mimes or street theater companies. And some of them put together Shakespeare, and some of them put together anti-Bush theater uh, acts. Who cares? Now, look, if I'm the head of the secret intelligence committee for the New York, and somebody says to me, "Hey, look, I want to look into street theater companies," I'd say, "Man, you better have something on them, because that doesn't seem to make too much sense to me. So you better show me a piece of evidence that says." There's a very dangerous clown in that company, church groups. Cuz you know how dangerous church groups are. I mean, they will bust out a bible on you before you know what hit you. Okay? And left-wing church groups, those peace nicks? They're the most dangerous people around. I will not quote you about the prince of peace. Prince of peace, please. Yeah, those church groups are a nest of terrorists. Okay. So they look at the church groups, anti-war organizations cuz if you're for peace, of course, that must mean you're violent. And, of course, environmentalists, because environmentalists would want to do, would be in cahoots with al-Qaeda. Why? Are al-Qaeda looking to protect a force? Is that what's happening? So environmentalists are also, uh, looking, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's more. People are opposed to the death penalty. Once again, a well-known group of violent people. Okay. No, they're opposed to the death penalty. They don't want to kill people. OK, globalization people and, uh, and people opposed to globalization and people opposed to other government policies. Well, if you're opposed to government policies, then obviously you're dangerous and we need to send a spy in to check in on your group. OK, now, mind you, in none of these cases of the ones that of the, these groups that I talked to you about, that they have any evidence of any criminal wrongdoing or even a vague, you know, a hint of an idea of maybe doing something wrong at some point none zero a police report on an organization of artists called bands against bush noted and i'm quoting from the new york times here bands against bush while wow, they must be dangerous noted that the group was planning concerts <gasps> on october 11 2003 in new york washington seattle san francisco and boston between musical sets the report said there would be political speeches and videos well i'm sure glad somebody was looking at these dangerous guys here's what the report on bans against bush says activists are showing a well-organized network made up of anti-bush sentiment the mixing of music and political rhetoric indicates sophisticated organizing skills with a specific agenda police departments in above listed areas have been contacted regarding this event and as well they should be political rhetoric mixed with music (laughs) well this is well organized indeed for music and political speeches. What part of this is violent? What part of this is criminal? What part of this is un-American? I mean, what part of this needs to be investigated? What part of this needs to have spies go into their groups, infiltrate them, take pictures of them, take their names down, and put them up uh, uh, in like, from folders called NYPD Secret. And you think, well, what's the big deal? But well, they just investigated them? They arrested these people later. Okay? They arrested them. For why? Because they're organizing music and political speeches. I mean, do we live in the United States of America? I'm asking, if you're a Republican or a conservative and you have any kind of compunction you or you believe in this country at all, are we living in the United States of America? And would you be comfortable with Democrats doing likewise? I mean, shoot, you want to talk about violent groups? We want to talk about uh, spying on people? Militias? Uh, from my understanding, is they all have guns. I don't think bans against Bush has guns. I don't think the environmentalists have guns. I don't think the church groups have guns. I don't think the street theater companies have guns. Militias have guns. Republicans have guns. Okay, and you think, oh, but all of a sudden, you investigate these guys. But when a Democrat gets in office, you don't want to investigate any Republicans, right? Should we send spies into all those groups? And well, we shouldn't send spies into those guys either because we're supposed to live in the United States of America. Uh three city council members were spied on and investigated why they had the audacity to attend a January 14, 2004 event in honor of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. How dare they? The report says the RNC, the war in Iraq and the Bush administration were part of the speeches. Ooh Wow, people honoring Dr. Martin Luther King who was in favor of peace, talking about peace and they were investigated. They were city council members. Okay. Uh point number 2. Other groups that were investigated. Queers for Peace and Justice and the 1199 Bread and Roses Cultural Project. Yeah, Bread and Roses Cultural Project. They're a big threat to American values and to do something criminal. Queers for Peace and Justice? Queers for Peace and Justice? they're the big terrorism threat in america queers for peace and justice okay point number 3 the war resisters league war resisters league they're a pacifist organization founded in 1923 they're a pacifist organization they are, the whole point of the group is to not have violence it's to not have violence all right well how about these guys man and woman in black block you know what they are they're a group of delegates interested in uh, using Johnny Cash as their theme, Who, big terrorism threat. Better investigate them. How about billionaires for Bush? Here's what the report said about this satirical performance troupe: Billionaires for Bush is an activist group, forges a mockery of the current president and political policies. Well, then you better investigate them. This is supposed to be investigating criminal activity. Why? It continues. Preliminary intelligence indicates that this group is raising funds for expansion and support of anti RNC activist organizations. And I say to that, so what? I thought we lived in America. They arrested 1,806 of these people based on what they said was, quote, pre convention intelligence. They arrested them.